Hey everybody, Doug Schaefer again with The Taste. Thanks very much for checking out this latest episode. Our guest today is Tim Landavi. Tim and his family have been a big part of the Napa Valley wine scene for a long, long time. I can't wait to talk to him, so let's get started. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Doug Schaefer with another podcast episode of The Taste. Uh, today, we've got a guy in here who's a pretty good friend, but we've really never spent a lot of time together. So I've been looking forward to this because it's we're way overdue. But we've got Tim Mandav here. Tim, welcome. Thank you very much, Doug. I'm delighted to be here. It's good to I have you. I spent time with your dad and doing a lot of things and uh, look forward to spending more time with you. Well, I think you and I have a lot in common. Oh. Um, but I, I got to tell you about, I got to tell you one story about um, one, the best, truly the best summer job I ever had. I was a tour guide at Robert Mondavi Winery. This was the summer of 79. I was between Davis and going down to teach school in Tucson for a couple of years. So I got this job as a tour guide. Let me tell you, 79, I think I'm making $15 an hour. I'm doing three tours a day. Tour lasts about an hour. You got an eight hour shift. In between tours, we're in the back room there, the original vineyard room eating cheese from Oakville Grocery, drinking beautiful wines because there was always some VIP there and there was reserved Pinots and reserved cabs. And I'm 23. I'm meeting girls. Uh, we got the Mondavi <laughs> summer concerts going on. It was the best summer job of my life. And you probably saw a few uh, comparison wines that weren't so bad as well. Were, uh, Dad would always want to compare with the best of the world. That's and, true. Uh, that's true. They he were always, there too. Yeah, he would do that. Yeah. And uh, I remember seeing you run around the cellar. I'd be, I'd be, you know, you know, guiding the tour through the the, the, the cellar, and, and there'd be a Tim over there and your dad. It was a lot of fun. And always in the tasting area. There are lots of, lots of tastings, lots of wines, and had, it was a, it really it was a, a, an incredible time back in the earlier days of Robert Mondavi. Yeah, it was neat. Beautiful wines. So that was 79. But uh, hey, let's, let's start from the beginning. Do you, do you mind going back? No, Grand, no, no. Gran, I'd, I'd be delighted to go grandparents, back. Grandparents, the Absolutely. whole deal. So let's hear some well, Mondavi in history. in the beginning, yes, <laughs> there was Rose and Cesare. <laughs> Yes, it was like Adam and Eve, uh, but uh, um, actually my grandparents immigrated from Italy in uh, 1906, but my grandfather got us into the wine business 100 years ago this year, uh, 1919. Really? Uh, with the onset of prohibition, um, you know, the prohibitioners couldn't go against the church. Right. Right. They were right. all the church ladies that uh, were against their men uh, overindulging spirits but they couldn't go against the church that needed wine for the sacraments. There you go. And so there was the exception of sacramental wine was allowed. All the um, medical friends of wine, the doctors said, you know, in moderation, wine is healthy and good for you. Yeah. And so, okay, well, that's another exception. Uh, you could have wine prescribed to you by your doctor. And then uh, <laughs> thirdly, by that's... extension, um, each head of household was allowed for, to make four barrels worth of wine. And that's, so that's, that, a, that's four ton. That's eight. That's 80 cases of wine. Uh, yeah. Roughly. Yeah. yeah roughly. That'll roughly. last. Well, yeah. You, but if you think about it, 80 cases of wine, you know, if you have friends over, you share a bottle of wine each yeah. night, you know, it goes pretty quickly. Okay. But at any rate, that's how my grandfather got into the grape shipping business for home winemaking starting in 1919. And was he was he here in California or was he oh, back absolutely. In, okay. Well, he immigrated from Italy in 1906, as I mentioned. Okay. He followed his brother, Giovanni, into the iron ore mines of Minnesota. Okay. 
And uh, when Giovanni met with a fatal accident in the mine, my grandfather very wisely went up above ground, had a boarding house and a grocery store. Uh, he had his ear to the ground. He was a translator for the community and was secretary of the Italian club. They had their ear to the ground because, again, they were in Minnesota. Right. Uh, uh, Senator Volstead the, from the Volstead, the Volstead Act, Act was from Minnesota. <laughs> they knew what was going on. They knew the exceptions. And they asked my grandfather Cesare to come to California. They gave him their cold, hard cash, sent him to California. And he said, you know, this isn't so bad. So he began discovering the length and breadth of California starting in 1919, including Napa Valley. And so, yeah, it's a big, it's a big year for us, 1919, that's, 2019. That's great. So, um, so they, they bankrolled his trip to, to, to move to California to ship grapes back well, yeah, to he, them. Well, yeah, he came out um, on a couple scouting trips. Okay. Uh, and then moved his family to Lodi in 1922. Okay. And from there... He had access throughout the entire state, the length and breadth of California, and got to know all the regions. And upon repeal, uh, uh, I guess all the bankers that had foreclosed on the wineries right, uh, during right. Prohibition um, saw this young, enterprising fellow <laughs> who uh, had developed a link to the marketplace for grapes. And they approached him and said, Cesare. Chesney, do you think you can do that with uh, with wine? And he said, "Yes, I think I can do that." And so he became the president of the Acampo Wine Company over in the Lodi area. Okay. And they had three wineries that they worked with: one in in Modesto, one in Lodi, and one in Napa Valley called Sunny Saint Helena Winery. Sunny Saint. Okay, this is wild. You know. <clears throat> Your grandfather, your father, you, you know, there's a definite genetic link going on here. But anyway. And then it goes on to the next generation, too, the fourth we, we generation. we got to talk about those guys. Um, but he, how old is he probably at this point? So this well, was, was like 1933. He was 23 when he immigrated to uh, America. Okay. That was 1906. And so you add up the years and uh, there he was. 13, 20, yeah, 30, he would have been 36. Wow. 36. Three wineries and one in St. Helena called Sunny St. Helena Winery. Right. Which, to those of you who don't know, is now Maryvale. Exactly. Okay, so he's got, so is he still living in Lodi? Or he, he, he was. Okay. He was living in Lodi. He moved his family out to Lodi in 1922. And uh, my father was born, all of my father and his siblings were born in Minnesota. Okay. But then they uh, all came out. You know, what I make up, and I'm not exactly sure of all of this, we tried to find the research for all of this, uh, but um, was that these bankers approached my grandfather in, in 1933. Uh, there were three wineries. He was the president of the Acampo Wine Company. Right. Um, and, uh, and so he had a number of years of experience throughout the state of California. And upon my father's graduation from college in 1936, he said, my father was thinking about business. He was thinking about law. He because he was but, it was Stanford, right? He went yeah, to Stanford. Right, yeah, exactly. Okay. And um, uh, nailing boxes, they made money f to go to Stanford and right. uh, nailing boxes for uh, shipping grapes. Shipping grapes. Uh, so um, uh, there are stories about that. But <laughs> at any rate, um, yeah, this all carried on and. Um, um, 
yeah, my, my grandfather had this understanding of what California was like. And you'll, you'll have to recall another, another interesting fact. Um, if you go back and do California Wine History 101, mm-hmm. um, uh, I think it was 1782 is when the first grapes and wine were harvested in Southern California, uh, at Mission San Juan Capistrano, right. uh, Spanish missionaries. But it was the German immigrants that put uh, wine on the map for Napa Valley. Uh, they had won awards for uh, fabulous quality in Paris, in London, in Brussels against wines of throughout the world. And so Napa Valley wines were represented uh, Interesting. strongly. Interesting. And that, that recognition, that quality, led to there being 121 wineries here in Napa Valley in the, by that's 1919. R- that's right. And 18,000 acres of vines. Um, and then Prohibition wiped all that out. The German immigrants made great wine because they brought a culture of wine growing with them. Mm-hmm. They um, wine growing and wine making. And so that led to great wines and the fame and all the wineries followed. But they planted, uh, how did the Germans plant those vines? Probably in Hillside. It was select, no, it wasn't Hillside. Select, that that came later. <laughs> but um, no, but well, it was the hillsides that they planted and the valley floor. But with prohibition, the economic reality, Second World War, the Depression, all right. of that, uh, everybody was in a mess throughout the world. And so all of the high-cost, uh, low-yield sites were abandoned. Right. So Napa Valley lost half of its production, the hillsides, as well as other areas. I didn't know they planted in the hillsides back, back well, then. Well, look at Tramsburg. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Look at uh, where Behringer is. Look at there where they did plant the hillsides. They did plant the valley floor. But the only thing that got through that economic disaster of the depression and prohibition were the higher yielding areas. And there's a reason your dad chose to go to the hills. Uh, He knew what the German immigrants knew. He knew knew the story of the great wines of the world that seek a higher level of uh, stress in the vines, mm-hmm. just the right amount. Right. So the hillside select is uh, <laughs> something that seems to resonate here at Schaefer. Well, it, it does here at Schaefer, but there's some of those great sites on the hills and on the flatlands Yes, here, that's as true. We all know. But, Absolutely. But you're very kind. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I do think that there are... Yeah, Tokelon is a great... Yeah, my family owned... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, 530 acres of uh, of Tokelon for a very long time. I took care of it as the wine grower for my family for wow. 30 years. But that all went up in smoke at the end of 2004. Right. Yeah. So your dad's. Um, so he gets out of Stanford. So he. This is Robert, your father, and he comes up and works with uh, your grandfather. Is that how it works? Yes. Yes. And well, he, my grandfather continued to live in Lodi. Okay. Continued to ship grapes uh, for up until his death in '59. Okay. But um, my grandfather knew the areas of the valley. The interesting thing too is that in 1933. of the wines of California had gone to fortified wine. America wanted that which it could not have during Prohibition. And so they wanted hooch. They wanted hooch. So so it wasn't table wine. It was fortified wine. Port, sherry, uh, brandy, muscatel, angelica. Mm -hmm. 
these fortified wines. And so the epicenter, the economic epicenter of wine was a Central Valley. So given and 80% of the wines of California at that time in 1933 were fortified wines. So it was... Um, wow. Uh, it was a visionary moment for my grandfather then to go against that uh, and move and say, Bobby, go to Napa Valley, because Napa Valley was not a very good place for fortified wine. Right. The yields, it's the soils are great. restricted, the temperatures are cool, the tonnage is low. Mm -hmm. So um, during Prohibition, it is interesting to note that California planted more grapes during Prohibition. Uh, However, Napa Valley lost half of its production because, again, it was not productive enough. Got it. So, so it was uh, all Central but, Valley where they got big yields and they shipped it yes, all back east for homemade wine. But and my grandfather wine. was all about wine for the table and great red wine and Napa Valley stood out to him wow. as being a great place for that. So he was the one. So he sent your dad, Robert. Yes. My grandfather, Cesare, was the visionary and my father just... Uh, um, got on board and uh, took us to the stars. Got it. And so he, so your dad shows up at Sunny St. Helena. Yes, as he runs that. And in then 1936. And that was that was the first winery he was working at. Yes. And then. Uh, and because of the family being able to develop this connection to, mm -hmm. again to the marketplace, uh, and being, um, um, you know, just being honored there, it coincided in 1943 with Mr. Moffat from San Francisco, who owned Charles Krug at the time, okay. wanted to get out of the mm -hmm. wine business and was looking for a family that uh, would carry it on. And so Paul Alexander, the fellow from the Bank of America in St. Helena, approached my father with the notion. And my father, of course, raced into <laughs> saying, wow, what a great opportunity this is. I can see that picture. Oh boy, yeah. And uh, he went home to Lodi. <clears throat> Uh, to in a very uh, eager way mm -hmm. and discussed the idea over dinner with my grandfather, who was a little bit different from my father. He was mm -hmm. very conservative, very right. quiet, not didn't say much. But my grandfather or my father was very dynamic, and he was like his his mother. Um, but my father was talking a mile a minute uh, over dinner. <laughs> and then uh, about the great opportunity this would provide. Right, right. And then my grandfather just kind of gets up and says good night and goes upstairs to bed. So my father says, Mom, we got to do something about this. This is a great opportunity. And she right. says, don't worry. I'll take care of it. She goes up to bed. And then the following morning... Chesity comes down the stairs and says, when do we go to St. Helena? Wow. <laughs> so Good old mom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah persuasive. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway. <laughs> That's a so, great story. Yeah. So, so they purchased Charles Krug, which most of everyone knows is north of St. Helena. Fantastic, fantastic property. It is the oldest, um, oldest winery operating today uh, in the valley. Right. The 1861 is when it was founded. Okay. And um, so... Uh, so now we got now we get to you. So Robert's running crew with the family and the whole thing. Yes. You come along. You've got a couple siblings, Michael and Marsha. Yes. You're the third younger. You're the Youngest. you're the baby. Yes, that's and, right. And uh, we were we so we were born. Were you guys living at Krug? 
Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Grew up at Charles Krug. How fun. Uh, Charles Krug was my playground, you know. Uh, went out in the vineyards with uh, Pietro Ballardinelli, who was, uh, we all called him Uncle Pete. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> my grandmother would uh, occasionally or often prepare these fabulous meals for us. Um, and my mom and my dad would always invite people to the valley. And, you know, Napa Valley was not then what it is thought of as now. Agreed. Um, an example of that is when I would learn to ski and I would go up to uh, Heavenly Valley. Okay. Uh, you'd be on a chairlift with somebody from the Bay Area I never met, and you'd say, hi, Where you great from? day, where, you where are you yeah. from? Right. You'd say Napa Valley, and they'd say, hmm, where, uh, where's, oh, that, that's right. Isn't, isn't that where the insane asylum is? That's right. That's where and it was I would say, for. oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. The uh, Napa State Hospital mm-hmm. uh, would be there. And, uh, or the other mm-hmm. thing that people recognized was the Veterans Home. That's home. And, yeah, uh, yeah. But nobody thought about wine. I mean, it had been illegal not mm-hmm. long before. Um, and it was certainly looked down upon. Uh, so nobody thought much of it. And Napa Valley wines, California wines, were you know third rate compared to uh, French or Italian or German. Mm-hmm. But my father had this; he knew that we had the soil and the climate and the capabilities to do great things. So uh, things evolved from that. Right. So you're growing up in St. Helena, going yes. playing at Charles Krug. There's probably 15 or 20 wineries in the valley, but 20, you, we have yeah. Robert Mondavi Winery in 1966 was the 21st. The 21st. And, um, but so high school, was that St. Helena yeah. or Napa? Okay. No, no, no. Well, actually, I grew up in St. Helena, but then went away to high school. Okay. Um, my father always wanted the best. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we all went away. To, my brother, sister, and I went away to high school. And um, anyway, but yeah. still, this is, this is, has always been home. But uh, boy, growing up, so, you know, because that's the early 60s in Napa Valley. It just must have been, gosh, you know, there's no wineries. Well, I mean, even we moved out in 73. I think there were 30 wineries when we got out here. No fancy hotels, no restaurants. No I restaurants. Mean, it, was, it was rural. All I mean, the best food was in in the homes. Mm-hmm. And because of the martinis and the mandavis and a few other Italian people that were in the valley, uh, the Italian community was strong. And the meals in the homes were fabulous, but there hmm. were no restaurants, really no restaurants to speak of. So, uh, and it's, it's come a long way since that time. So you're growing up, there's, I'm assuming there's, there's always wine on the table. Mm-hmm. And uh, was it always California wine? Or I'm, I'm guessing, knowing your dad, he's drinking wines from all over the world. Well, yes, there was wine from all over the world, mm-hmm. and there were people from all over the world, particularly the United States, that would come through the home. And, you know, I grew up, my bedroom was 50 yards from the crusher at Charles Krug. And so... People would look for, come to the house and want to use the bathroom and, you know, and, <laughs> um, you know, it was, uh, it was early days in the industry. Real quickly, your, your mom, Mar- Marjorie. Yes, right? that's right. So where did she and your dad meet? Well, they both grew up in Lodi. My mother okay. was born in Lodi and my father moved to Lodi when he was 13 years old with okay. his family. Yeah. And so they grew up uh, there together. My father was a couple years older. Um, and uh, yeah. And so 66, 
That's when your dad breaks out and founds the Robert Mondavi Winery, the 21st winery Well, he winery was in broken out, I should say, well, because, uh, yeah, in 65, um, you know, you, you have to remember uh, some good friends that uh, were in the Valley. Uh, their parents would always say, well, wine, that's how you go out of business. Uh, um, you don't go into the wine business. Uh, uh, that's a little bit bizarre. So there were very difficult times economically. And so lots of challenges. And so uh, and my father, always being the optimist, would always push and push and push. And um, while my grandfather was alive, my grandfather knew what was going on, but he died in 59. And mm -hmm. so uh, six years later, things were a little bit too tight. And my father was booted out of Krug. Mm -hmm. And so he began... Um, he wanted to provide an opportunity for the family. And so Great. he began Robert Mondavi, the 21st winery in Napa Valley. Um, uh, after working with his family for 30 years, mm -hmm. he was 53 years old. And um, most people were considering retiring, but he said, no, this is, uh, so your, your father, how well, old was your father when he began I, Schaefer? I, I did the math. I was, I was doing some research on you yesterday. Um, when dad, he moved us out when he was 48, his first vintage was 78, the 78 vintage, and he was 53 years old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of correlates. And if I'm not mistaken, Continuum, your, your baby, your, yeah. your baby, your new project, you were 53 when you started. Yes, that's right. There yes. you go. After working with my family for 30 years, too. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of continuums in our history. No, and and listen, what what happened? So you were, I think, I did, again, I did the math. You were when he's in '66 when he started. You were 15. Yes. Were you? What was that like for you? Is it just kind of crazy, or you know, Dad's just doing his thing and off he goes? And, no, it was <clears throat> uh, very difficult times. Mm -hmm. And as I had mentioned, my grandfather died not long before, and mm -hmm. there were always economic challenges. Got it. Uh, uh, the wine business was how you go out of business. Um, and so lots of challenges. Um, yet I never feared for things economically, but there was a lot of tension within the family and it manifests itself in many different ways, but, uh, still my grandmother was a, a fabulous lady mm -hmm. and, um, have nothing but great affection and regard for her and my grandfather. But at any rate, they were very difficult times. My father began Robert Mondavi with, um, or all of his assets were tied up at Charles Krug. He had no financial capability other than the goodwill uh, of friends uh, and uh, partners. He had two partners when in founding Robert Mondavi Winery. Uh, Fred Holmes, who okay. dealt with real estate in the area and owned uh, the land that is now Aubert's de Soleil and um, uh, Round Hill Winery down there. That. And right. uh, um, and Ivan Schock, who was the grape grower for mm -hmm. uh, Engelnook and Beaulieu and uh, prior to Andy Beckstoffer. So they were the two partners and they sold out after two years. And... Uh, yeah, I worked there every every summer uh, since it began. So, well, this is kind of curious because I was going to ask you, it's like, hey, you're growing up in, you know, son of Robert Mondavi, famous, famous, famous. And all, as listening to you right now, I realize when you're a teenager and he's just getting going, 
Okay, yeah, it's Robert Mondavi's winery, but it, 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 I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, there was no instant fame. It wasn't, oh, no. it was like, because we have a parallel there too. Because um, I was going to say, what was it like being 15, 16, 17 in Robert Mondavi winery and all that fame? It's like, that no. probably wasn't happening. No. Okay. It was Robert who, uh, Robert you know, who? And, um, you know, nobody knew that. They, uh, Charles Krug was known, um, right. but it was Simon Davi and Sons that were the owner. And my father had That's made right. quite a name for himself within the industry. But again, uh, Napa Valley wines, California wines were not regarded highly. Uh, they mm-hmm. were illegal. They had been made illegal during Prohibition. Concurrent with that was all kinds of problems that took place in the wines. You have concrete fermenters and redwood <laughs> fermenters and not a lot of knowledge and no money to spend things spend money on. And so there were some challenges. Uh, and so, but throughout the wine world, there was off cooperage. Uh, right. And uh, so my father was the first to build Robert Mondavi Winery using new techniques. Louis Martini right. Winery was the first to be built after Prohibition, but it was built using old technology and Louis Martini Sr. used the, the then um, um, current, current technology. But then 33 years later, technology had evolved. And um, so stainless steel tanks I think were, your dad, was, wasn't he one of the first to go stainless steel? He was the first. He was the first, uh, yeah. And then I know that, um, what was his name from Aubryon, uh, Jean Delmas, okay. uh, said he followed dad using stainless steel <laughs> over there at uh, okay. Aubryon. Um, and then, you know, I, I can go on a litany of all the <laughs> different contu- uh, cooperage that various people have, but, but, um, yeah, he did a lot of interesting things. Mike Gergich, who, well, mm-hmm. I'll be seeing Warren Wojnarski later this afternoon, Oh, great! but, um, Warren was the first fellow who worked with us at Robert Mondavi and I worked with him in the summers as a kid. Really? And, uh, and then Mike Gergich followed him and I worked with Mike, uh, and they both went on to be in the judgment of Paris and each, uh, recognized our wines were not in that tasting because we were too well known. Joanne Dupuy, uh, Joanne Dupuy was the the lady that collected the wines for Stephen Spurrier and she had her own clients. She had a tour company and she had taken Stephen Spurrier around. And so she wanted to present the wines that the unknown wineries of Napa Valley. That's kind of frustrating. uh, And so Robert Mondavi was too well known. Um, So at any rate, uh, but both Mike (laughs) and Warren went on to be recognized in that judgment of Paris tasting. But they started Mondavi. Well, they they, they each had, uh, well, Warren uh, worked at Souverain prior. He was a uh, professor of uh, philosophy at University of Chicago, I believe. But then he worked with Lee Stewart at Souverain. And then he worked with us. Um, And Mike Gergich had been at uh, Beaulieu, under uh, Andrei Chelichev right. for many years, and then worked with us for a year, for a few years. Then went on to Montalena, and then went on to found uh, Gergit Chills. But um, yeah, it's an, it's an incestuous business, isn't it? Well, it was small. It was small. It was very small, and everybody helped everybody. Um, and uh, so that was part of the uh, genesis of uh, 
why Napa Valley is known as well mm-hmm. as it is because we collaborate. We're friendly yeah. and help each other because if your wines are looked upon well from Napa Valley, then mine will probably be as well. So uh, it was a good thing. I'm going to circle back to that one, but before I do, so high school then, so you go to, you go to Davis. I did. And go into vit, viticulture, enology, the whole, was that the, the plan? That was what you were going to do? Well, did no, you ever think about you know, doing anything was, else? There were challenges within the family, uh, within my um, father and my uncle at the time. And, um, and then I, my brother being eight years older than me, I thought that he and my father had figured everything out. And so I was thinking about doing other things <laughs> uh, until I went to... Um, Europe in 1970 and okay. saw that families actually can uh, work together in peace and harmony and delight. And uh, it wasn't such a bad thing. That's a nice, and, that's a great experience. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, the Demptos family took me okay. in and we spent a lot of time in Bordeaux. Uh, and they and the Saunders, uh, uh, Louis Demptos's wife was a Saunders. They had Obayi uh, mm-hmm. and had the best meal meals there with three generations of the Demptos Saunders family and and Demptos is a barrel producer. They yes. produce barrels. And yeah. For and many, they, many, most of us have used their barrels for many years for a lot oh, of other yeah. producers too. But. Louis and Pierre were mm-hmm. the elder generation. Mm-hmm. And then Philippe and right. uh, Philippe. Dominic uh, were a little bit older than I was at the time. But they carried on. They would show me all over the place in Bordeaux as they had my father before. And uh, it was such an amazing time, but we became good friends, and and uh, we were we became their largest barrel purchaser, mm-hmm. as we did with Francois Frere and Burgundy, and uh, and all. But uh, it was a big deal. That's great. And so, nineteen seventy. So you're probably just going to college at that point. Oh yeah, it was between between my freshman and sophomore okay. year in college. Yeah. So you came back and said, "Let's do it." Uh, Well, yeah, I did. And uh, so I started taking chemistry classes and biochem and organic and all all of that stuff, stuff. (laughs) all that stuff, which I have uh, squeaked through and um, uh, probably forgotten. Um, We have that in common, too. (laughs) (laughs) So you come out with the viticulture analogy. Uh, Who were were some of your peers in that program? They're they're still in the wine biz. Well, there were people before. um, uh, Well, Jerry Looper was ahead of me. Um, in the valley, uh, it was a small it was a small class, uh, but growing mm-hmm. uh, rapidly. Uh, the professors there, uh, uh, Denny Webb, Doctor right. Webb, Doctor uh, Webb, was there. Doctor Amering, uh, Hodberg, the original uh, guys. Yeah, yeah, wow. ABCs, uh, mm-hmm. Amering, Berg, and Cruz, <laughs> um, and. Um, uh, they had the technology of wine, but yeah, they were they were very impressive. Particularly Dr. Amarine, who would tell stories. He was the global, the globe trotter, and right. uh, had the best stories. Um, but um, oh yeah, those were the early days. Yeah. So you come out of Davis, and do you do you go straight to Robert Mondavi, or do you go somewhere sure. else? No, I was there. Um, I worked at Robert Mondavi every year right. since it began. I put the first valves on the first tanks. Did you? Uh, I was, <laughs> That's kind of cool. As a 15-year-old kid, I was uh, told how to use that tape and yeah, the, uh, um, thread yeah, the... Teflon, uh, the Teflon tape. Got yeah, it. the Teflon I'm, tape. I'm you a... put the valves on and mm-hmm. you have them straight. And the first harvest was before there was a roof on the uh, <laughs> cellar. 
Um, but dad was hell-bent for election to have it uh, happen, and it did. So I should also say that uh, we broke ground on my sister's birthday, July 16th. Wow. Just a couple days ago now, but uh, July 16th of 66. And uh, although the very first crush was at Charles Krug. Uh, got it. Okay, uh, for the 66 minutes. So the very first portion of the first crush. But thereafter, um, the crush continued at Robert Mondavi in 1966. And interestingly enough, um, I worked there in 66 and then 67, which is the year that the Chapelets had their first crush. And it was at Robert Mondavi, and I worked on the Chapelet wines. I didn't know as that. As a kid. So Chapelet was custom crush, obviously custom crushing. Yes, they were building their wine. They were it wasn't building. yet completed. So and they crushed. As, as the very first portion of the 66 harvest was at Krug, uh, my father always had open doors uh, and would help anybody, as the Valley did. Mm -hmm. I think their aging was at Schramsburg, if I remember the story correctly. Um, but um, but, but their got... crush. I worked on on uh, the Chapelet wines as a kid with Warren Mignarski. So these are this is great. So this is Cabernet from Pritchard Hill. Well, it Chapelet. was Chenin Blanc, is what I remember. But, it's, but basically, it's Pritchard Hill. Yes. And uh, because you go full circle, because that's where your new home is now. Yes, continuum. exactly. We're contiguous to them. And, and, and ironically, um, um, the mother of my children, Dorothy, was a babysitter for uh, Molly Chapelet. <laughs> uh, and so all of the kids know Dorothy. And so it just shows how small a valley this valley well, really was. It it was. And, you know, I, we, we came... Uh, I guess I feel like I've been here a long enough time to be almost almost a native, but uh, 73, I gotta tell you something, and because you've touched on it, and I've made a note, because it's really important to say, and I'm not sure where it came from or it was the spirit of the valley, but I think your dad and your family, I was curious if you were aware of your dad's, my impression was it was your dad's philosophy or basically the philosophy of your whole family at Robert Mondavi Winery. I, and I say family, meaning not just family members, but staff and employees. Because when I was starting out winemaking, basically, and coming up, the word was, if you want to know anything that's going on, you can call Mondavi. They'll let you, they'll tell you. They will share stuff with you. They'll share what they've learned. They'll share this. I was like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And I'm here. I walk into this place in 1983. I'd worked for Randy Mason for two years and was a cellar rat. Yeah, I had the degree, but you know, I was way green. Wait, I walked into a disaster. Ritanomyces, too numerous to count. I've got flawed wines. I've got this, I've got that. I was like, help. I had some consultant or consultant, that was fine. But I was out lamenting one time to someone and they said, hey, you should, you should call up Brad Warner over at Mondavi. Yeah. I said, who's that? He goes, oh, he's one of the winemakers. You know, he works with Tim and, you know, they've got a whole crew of guys. I say, you're kidding me. He says, no, call him up. I called him up. If I'd known you, I would have called you. And I said, hey, you got some time. I sat down in his office. I had a whole list of questions for like two hours. I said, Brad, you know, what do I do about this? What do I do about this cooperage that's, that, that's infected with Brad? And how do I clean, you know? And he was, he was, as patient and as giving and as sharing as I've ever, I'll never forget it. Yeah, and he and, still is. And it became evident that this was kind of the way it was, especially at Mondavi, 
with you guys. And it, it shared, and, and you know, you take it a step further. It's sure it's being good neighbors, but probably to quote your dad and you, you know, rising, a rising tide. Absolutely. So all of a sudden, Napa Valley, quality of wines back in the 50s, 60s, so, 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 in a 30 or 40 year period, look at the quality of the wines in this valley, as to, to quote your father, you know, we can be as good as anyone in the world. Absolutely. And it happened in a 30 year period, not a 300 year period, because of that spirit of sharing. Yes. And that came from that oh, came absolutely. from you, that came from you guys. I mean, well, you, I think you, it did. Tim, and you I, guys I, had that rep. It was like no, it, we, it is true. We did have that, and I would say that it is also the spirit of uh, my grandmother. Particularly, she was a very huh. gregarious, outgoing uh, gal. It is said of her. There, she is written up in a book called Americans by Choice. Oh, really? By Angelo Pellegrini, and in fact, there are um, stories about the martinis and my grandmother and uh, a number of others, but it is a, a, a very sweet, brief read that is, uh, speaks about uh, the immigrant spirit. And St. Helena is built by um, immigrants, uh, at that mm -hmm. time by Italian immigrants. The Martinis would want to work with people that would speak Italian and the mm -hmm. Mondavis would. So Charles Krug and Martini Winery had lots of Italians. And, and, but there was a spirit, uh, people would say, of my grandmother. First of all, she was a fabulous cook. And there was a little, how many places to set the table there were. There were six of us. Oh, set it for 10. There may be a few people just dropping by. You know? And <laughs> so cool. she set... She set a tone of welcome that my grandfather, Cesare, and she had, and my father carried on with that. And it is a question of, yes, what's good for you is good for me, but it's also just out of a spirit of generosity. And I think wine is a beverage of generosity. Its whole purpose is to bring people together in health and happiness. Right. And so hospitality is central to to our family, and also as uh, as a result, I think this entire valley, uh, and that's the reason why the Vintners. Well, my father was a part of the right. formation of the Vintners, and I was with him when he presented. I was on the board of the Vintners in '78 uh, and prior, actually. But you know, it was um, I, I was with my father when he brought the idea of the of the Napa Valley Wine Auction. Mm -hmm. It's auction Napa Valley now, but it was then. It was Napa Valley Wine Auction, and, um, it's, and it, in thirty plus years, it's uh, over one hundred eighty-five million dollars. Yes, that's right. That we've raised. For yeah, this without community. last year's, uh, so it'd be a hundred ninety-seven <laughs> or so, look, just you're, under two hundred million dollars. Amazing. With but last look, year's, but look how a cultural, a cultural or very personal family norm of openness and welcoming just to family and friends through you guys spread that into the business world. And normally you think you don't want to share ideas because somebody will beat you out. It's like, no, we can all be successful here. No, absolutely. Yeah. Are, we that, are we competitive? Sure. But there's yeah. enough room for everybody. I think I think we're comp I think collectively we have helped Napa Valley be recognized as mm -hmm. a very important place. And if you're one off, then you're just one off. Right. But if you build a category, if you build 
uh, uh, recognition. And if Schaefer wines are well recognized, then other wines will be from the area, sure. neighboring wines will sure. be. And so everybody benefits from that. And if anybody doesn't do so well, it hurts too. Yeah. So yeah, I actually sometimes I'll be at a tasting. There'll be someone that you know, you know, up the road or down the road, and I'll taste their wine. It's like, hmm, hmm, <laughs> this could be better. I mean, yeah, I'm not trying to be critical, but it's like, sure, darn it, you know, come on, guys, because yeah. we've all got Napa Valley on the label. Yeah, that's, that's, no, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So good. So you're at the wine. So you were at Mondavi for 30 years in charge of wine. I was in charge of the wines for 30 years, 74 wow. to 2004. You know, now I was put in uh, <laughs> in charge of the wines, but I too recognize that I did not know everything. I still don't <laughs> 40 some odd years <laughs> later. Um, and so I think it's, it is very important to be interdependent with uh, great people. And so you mentioned Brad Warner. Mm -hmm. Brad uh, had worked at Charles Krug Winery before coming over to Robert Mondavi, and he was that. a cornerstone of the foundation of Robert Mondavi. Uh, Warren Winyarski, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. Mike Gergich, Zelma Long, Zelma, um, were all there. Uh, lots of great people came through. Um, uh, people know the winemakers, but the cellar master, Brad was a cellar master, okay. and he was absolutely incredible. But ultimately, it's all about people. And if you can attract smart, capable people and get them on your wavelength, then fabulous things can happen. Mm -hmm. And my father was a master at that. He was a natural born leader. Uh, he had a vision and everybody wanted a part of it. And his vision was large enough to em envelop everybody else. Hmm. And I think that is leadership. It's leadership. So uh, he was an amazing man. Well, you got to, you got to work with him how many years? Well, I worked full-time with him for 30 years, but yeah. that doesn't count high school or college right. because I was there as well. And again, I was working with uh, uh, Warren and Mike yeah. and Zelma, who I worked with for 10 years. And then I was you know, purely in charge. I shouldn't say purely because that's, I don't know if you're ever purely no, in charge. No. It is a question of providing guidance or leadership and touching things this way or that. But ultimately, it is having a vision that people tie into mm -hmm. and believe in and uh, work hard towards realization of. Right. So that's that's the fun part of it. And over those 30 years, I mean, it started with Robert Mondavi, then there's Opus One, Vachon, Woodbridge, on and on. I mean... It was like go. Was I'm I'm assuming your dad was driving that, or were you were you guys driving it together? Well, my father had the big vision. Mm -hmm. My father had the vision of excelling in wine. Um, uh, I think that there were a number of things that led to uh, that. My father always wanted to go very fairly quickly, um, and. As I mentioned in six, well, I don't need to go into all the details, but sure. yes, he um, uh, he wanted to grow, and things happened that led to the table wines uh, needing to be developed. Mm -hmm. uh, and Bob Red, Bob White, Robert Mondavi Red, Robert Mondavi White, 
Uh, and then that evolved. Uh, and then that gave us great the product. scope. Yeah, it, was, it was, and it was great. a new category. It was new a new category really at the good, time. solid wine and not too expensive. And it, oh, was, yeah. man, it was wonderful. It was a brand new category <laughs> of its day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we also... Um, did have Opus One develop in 79. In 93, we did go public, um, and that allowed us to do a number of things. We developed, and I, I led the charge on taking us to Italy, and I That's had right. the tough right. job, Doug. I had the tough job of having to go to Italy and so many times <laughs> and uh, putting up with my things like my grandmother's cooking and so many different areas and discovering the regions of Italy. It's a and tough I, place to visit. It was a tough place to visit. <laughs> and I had to, and I ultimately, we chose, I met Vittorio Frescobaldi mm-hmm. and they had many different properties throughout, but the one that resonated with me was their property in Montalcino. And so we developed Luce de la Vite there. And um, uh, that evolved into a very wonderful relationship with Vittorio and his son Lamberto, who went to UC Davis, um, a bit younger than me. Uh, but we worked together to develop the wines, and that led to our ownership of Ornelia. That's right. I uh, tried to talk Lodovico Antonori out of selling this gorgeous <laughs> jewel, and um, because it really was absolutely a, a fabulous thing. He saw what his uncle had done. Lodovico saw what his uncle had done in Sassicaia right. and said, you know, I can do that too. And he loved America. I think that Piero and Lodovico's grandmother, I think, was American. Okay. Um, and so Lodovico asked Andrei Chalichev to consult with him in the formation of Ornelia. That's he asked right. Gino Zapponi, who was an engineer who mm-hmm. had designed uh, Deme Chandon, um, mm-hmm. to help build, design the winery of Ornelia. So there was a lot of, and Chuck House. Uh, did the label. Chuck House is the, yeah, uh, the artist that did the, the graphic work on the label and has done many, many labels throughout uh, uh, this area. Mm-hmm. But so Ornelia was really born of his, uh, Lodovico's love affair with Napa Valley and the and Napa Valley's being for him a realization of a rebirth, the possibility of a rebirth. Um, and so... Uh, Ornelia, really, um, Lodovico and Piero um, adored my father. They adored what they saw him doing. And Piero's two daughters worked with us, as have you. I didn't know uh, that. Uh, That's great. Worked with us in in uh, tours and retail. How fun. And so there's always been a wonderful affection between uh, the Antinores and our family. But at any rate... Um, I tried to talk Lodovico out of selling <laughs> this gorgeous property, but he had had a string of bad luck over the past number of years. And, and he said, Dame, Dame, yes, I've, I've learned two things about myself. One, I love to create things, you know, with my history, my family's history, my love of art. I love to create things. But second, I know that I hate to manage them. I'm terrible at managing. There you go. You take it over. There you so go. So we did. Yeah. <laughs> we did. And it was incredible. But um, And so I learned a lot of things there, too, with uh, the Frescobaldis, but also there right. at Ornelia. Mm-hmm. I became enamored yet again with Cabernet Franc and Petit Verdot mm-hmm. um, uh, at Robert Mondavi. The wines were 
inspired by the great wines of the great Cabernets of the world, meaning the Medoc. Mm -hmm. uh, the Medoc was the only classified wines of the time, uh, first growths, and they were rich in Cabernet Sauvignon, a small amount of Cabernet Franc, and, and Merlot. And that's what Robert Mondavi followed. But Ornelia reinforced the importance of Cabernet Franc and uh, certainly Merlot with their Mosetto. Um, yeah, Mosetto. But here, here, Cabernet Franc and Petit Verdot did very, very well. So that reinforced my love affair with those varieties. And so it helped impact Continuum. In fact, all of our history has helped us there. So, so <clears throat> getting to Continuum, 2004 comes, Mandavi's publicly told. All of a sudden, it's a big change. Oh, boy. And, and you and Marsha and Michael, your siblings, you know, you're out. And, yeah. But how that must have been really, really rough. Oh, and absolutely. How, how'd, you, how'd you get through it? How'd you do it? How'd you, how'd you get the gumption to get up and go and get back on the train? Well, you know, we went public in 93 under one right. set of rules, and then the rules changed. Oh. And then... Enron scandal took place, and uh, Sarbanes-Oxley came in, and our outside board looked upon us as insiders. Insiders were out, so oh. bit by bit, uh, my father's name was overused, and that led to a long period of uh, anguish mm. of seeing the equity that my that the the shift away from clarity of focus. Hmm. I think my grandfather was successful because he had clarity of focus. My father was successful because he had clarity of focus. But then after the rules changed, our outside directors overused my father's good name and um, dissipated that. And so we hit some bumps and boom, there it goes. But it was a long time coming. Right. Um, and uh, so we were had very heavy hearts. And uh, But as I... I have discovered if if you are going to have a heavy heart, it's nice to have a bag of money. And uh, we did have a bag of money. Well, good. And uh, that allowed us to carry forward uh, with this dream of producing, continuing this trajectory that my grandfather got us going, my father continued up, mm -hmm. and we have just carried it upward in a very small way, in a very small way with Continuum, but mm -hmm. we have carried on the best with the best of what my family stood for and have focused all of our attention on this one wine. And that has been very inspiring for me and very gratifying to see that um, when I was trying to get our board to understand the importance of clarity of focus, mm -hmm. And they said, "Oh, well, you're the silver-tongued artiste, you know. Wow. Uh, uh, you know, you know nothing about business." Um, and I used to say, "Well, you know, maybe they probably knew the balance, you know, the balance sheet better than I did. They had no idea what they were balancing their sheet on." Right. Um, it's called. Pardon the. Uh, you bad call it. Pun. You, you call it clarity of focus. I call it brand. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you we you protect it. I mean, it's sacred. Oh, absolutely. Everything. Absolutely. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. Uh, it is your it's identity. Your identity. Right. It is your identity. You've got to build it, and you've got to protect it, mm -hmm. and you have to keep it focused. So, at any rate, so Continuum is born of this commitment to have this estate, this single estate and the single wine from this fabulous estate that just up the hills from you You're here. You probably look down uh, on me. You can go out on the edge of your finger and you probably you know, <laughs> spy on me or something. Well, 
<laughs> uh, but it is a gorgeous property. But it's up on Pritchard Hill. We are it's, up. Uh, uh, we are Oakville with altitude. Oakville with so, altitude. Yeah. That's now right. we have 173 acres of land. Uh, we currently have 62. Well, ultimately, we will when we grow up and be big one day, we'll have 70 acres of vines. Wow, that's great size. And uh, we will be quite um, quite a bit smaller than we were with Opus One, okay. or quite a bit smaller than Opus, and smaller than any project that we had been involved with at Robert Mondavi. How do you feel about that? I feel terrific about yeah, that. Yeah, because we can control everything. We've got a superstar team. Uh, people that have worked with me that surprisingly enough, well, I should also say that my sister works with me, right, has invested right. in, in okay. continuing with me. She knew me and in spite of that is wanted <laughs> to work with me in this. And I, there are a number of people that um, um, I've been fortunate enough to um, have participate and help make Continuum happen. So, um, well, including your kids, you got, I am absolutely delighted to have four of my four own five, five kids, kids working with, working you. with us. And, um, um, and also now my sister's son, Brian, fun. uh, is working with us. So I'm particularly proud of that. Uh, he had the opportunity of knowing better and he chose to work with us uh, in <laughs> spite of that. So, uh, and which, and he's having a great time and all of, you know, we all are loving what we're doing. We're very proud of what we're doing and delighted to be able to work together and, um, fight together. Well, we don't really fight, but no, we do it's, have it's, discussions. It's healthy, healthy disagreements. Yeah, healthy discussions. Yeah. But I think that everybody's very proud of what we have, uh, accomplished, uh, the 2016 Vintage is our 12th release. Is it the t I can't already? That. Already, that go time by? flies when you're having fun. So we're having a great time. Did you? Uh, so you got a lot of family working with you. You came from another operation, which was family. So did you? Are there things you learned working with your dad that you brought to the now working with your kids? Or are there new things oh you? Are there? That's a you know. It's a, it's a wide open question. Are there new things yeah. you're learning now as you go along? I well, know. I think that clarity of focus is mm -hmm. the single most important thing. Okay. And alignment, alignment of all the different vectors Okay. Uh, to uh, just proper alignment around that such that everyone within the organization has a, a good comfort level as to what they can do and what needs to be done. And so I think that... Um, we do have a great spirit, a superstar team, um, and I get to go out in the marketplace and present it very proudly, and I get to be involved in the wines and the vineyards and get to have people that are far better at uh, counting. I, if I, uh, sometimes I get hung up between eight and nine and getting to 10. If I count to 10, I'm, uh, it's a good day. But I've got people that, that understand things incredibly well there on, from a financial perspective. And, uh, and the, our whole team is uh, dedicated to what we're doing. So we're having a fabulous time with that. That's great. That's great. Well, I see, I see Carissa on the road, you know, here yes. and there. It's great. It's yes. fun because all of a sudden we've had a chance to get to know each other a little bit. Yes. Um, Best way for folks to find Continuum Wines? Continuumestate.com. Continuumestate.com. Yeah, okay. to use. Continuumestate.com. Continuumestate is singular. Uh, um, and, uh, yeah, we have a website that shows a number of the photographs, a little bit of our history and uh, what our aspirations are. And, 
Yeah, it's, and it's just uh, the one wine every year, or is there another wine? Well, we have the, we do everything we possibly can to protect the integrity okay. of Continuum, and okay. so we sell the um, first crop off of our young vines to others that kind of line up to get fruit from uh, our vineyard, Sage Mountain Vineyard, high on Pritchard Hill. Um, we're the highest average elevation vineyard on Pritchard Hill and the highest winery on Pritchard Hill. Um, work that story and work it hard. Baby. You better believe it. <laughs> and But we do everything to protect it. And so we sell the first the young grapes off of our young vines uh, for the first few years. Okay. Then bring them in. And then they usually are a little bit on the younger side still. Mm-hmm. And so they go to our second wine from the property, which we call Novicium. Novicium. And Novicium, it's like the novitiate of uh, of our estate. Okay. 100% estate, um, but you know, basically the young vines uh, and young wine of that. That still shows the promise, uh, but Continuum is is the main wine, and it is we do everything we possibly can to protect the, its integrity. Um, and uh, since Continuum is the one wine on which our family's long, proud history has a mm-hmm. bright future, it's got to be right. And so we are incredibly selective with it Good. and very proud of it. Good. Got to ask you, who's the winemaker? Well, I get to play with it. Um, oh, come but on, I also man. have a, <laughs> I, I, I get to play with it and guide it and direct it, but I've got a fabulous team. Good. Uh, we have an associate winemaker that works with me that is a, a terrific uh, guy now. I've had, uh, anyway, it's, we've, we've got a superstar team Super. all the way through. Well, you know, I, you know, I, Turned over winemaker to last oh, a heck of a long time ago, and you know it was probably the best thing for the business we ever did. But boy, it was those first few years not making wine was tough. That yeah, was, that was, I, you know, because when you're the winemaker, you know you're the guy. You yeah, know, you're calling all the well, shots. You're, you know, when to pick, when what tank. You yes, know, press this. Yeah, when to pick uh, barrels. But I also say that, that I have again. Uh, Steve Nelson is our uh, the associate winemaker now that works with me. He's a terrific guy. I've had the good fortune of working with Carrie Findleton for many years, uh, 10 years, actually. And and she has gone to a higher order of pursuing her own family. She has two daughters now and had the tough choice to be a mom, which I think is the most important thing you can possibly do. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, we have a a great team. So, uh, yes, I do call all the picks. And, yes, I am involved in all the blends and... I listen and defer occasionally when it makes sense to me, and, <laughs> but ultimately that's my baby. I designed yeah. the winery and yeah. built it to court. It's my dream seller. It really right. is. So uh, and it's I've been involved in developing a lot of cellars. Designed Opus One. Designed right. much of Robert Mondavi Winery. We designed Byron Winery. Uh, we designed wineries in Chile. We've designed wineries in well throughout. And um, so Continuum is very simple. It's very focused and it works. Nice. I have yet to be there, so no, I'm, I'm going to take a drive up, up the hill. I'm going to yeah. drive my car. I won't ride my bike. Okay. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't. It's very steep. Um, a little bit of a personal question. You know, sure. your, your dad's been gone 11 years. Uh-huh. What do you miss about not having him around? Oh, golly. Oh, he was such an inspiration. Hmm. You know, he would walk into a room and and it would just light up. And he would always be urging you to go, go, go higher, go higher, and try this, try that. And I've tried to keep on with that same spirit. Hmm. Uh, but he had an energy that just would not quit, and, um, and a charisma that was endless. 
And I see that charisma in uh, my children now. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, um, and so they carry that same spirit out into the market. Um, I knew my grandfather Cesare. I knew my grandmother. Um, I'm probably a little bit more like my grandfather Cesare. And my father was more like my um, grandmother, much mm-hmm. more gregarious, much yes. more outgoing. But um, there's a little bit of each of them in uh, all of us, I suppose. Mm-hmm. What do you th- What do you wish that uh, your dad could have seen that you've accomplished? Oh us? golly, he! I was able to show him the property before we closed. I was, wonder, I was wondering about that. Yeah, Did he get he, the, oh, that's great. He, uh, he saw it. He wasn't able to speak. He was in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. But I showed it to him and. You know, you could tell, you, you could tell, you could see his eyes. Uh, and we both got quite uh, misty eyed and uh, touched when I showed him that we were in escrow on this gorgeous property, mm. absolutely gorgeous. So uh, it was a very odd feeling for my family to not have a vine to our name after 2004. I bet. Not, not, not one vine. And um, it was a very difficult time. But now I think he'd be very proud of what we have. And he would say, you should be much farther along than you are. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at the same you, time, we are, uh, I'm very <laughs> proud of where we are. And, you know, it's, we're, we've rebuilt a strong foundation for the fourth generation to carry forward. Well, and, and it's your baby. Yes, you know Tim, it's 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 Tim and Davi's place. Well, yes, it I mean, is. I know, but fa- it's, I, know it's, it's, I know it's family, but still, yes. I mean, I'm gonna, you know. Well, it also is. It is the culmination now of a hundred years. Yeah. So you know, after a hundred years, we're an overnight success. <laughs> but it, it is the culmination of all the experiences we've had mm-hmm. um, in the formation of Opus One, knowing, working with the Rothschild family, working in Chile with Eduardo Chadwick uh, in Senya working uh, in Italy with the Frescobaldi's right. and uh, you know it's all it's a culmination of all of that and yes my own interpretation of that with mm-hmm. my family it's a great story mm. what's what's next next oh, generation golly. the next generation what's on well, there? What's yeah. on, what's uh, well I should also <clears throat> say that I'm very proud of uh, my two sons Carlo and Dante they have followed a dream of mine to the Sonoma Coast, where they have a Pinot Noir project That's that they right. call Rain, R A E N, and Rain is, and they have done a great job. How fun! Um, it is a very bright, lively, um, vibrant Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay that both are absolutely outstanding. It's dominantly Pinot Noir, a small amount of Chardonnay, but uh, I think Carlo and Dante have done a fabulous job with that, and it is beginning to be recognized for the very, very high quality that it is. Good so, for them. And, and I was particularly delighted that um, one of their wines is called Royal St. Robert. Royal St. Robert. Royal St. Robert. <laughs> and, There's a story uh, there. There is a story there. Carlo often says that his it was inspired by his grandfather. Okay. And uh, he says that he was not royal, nor a saint, but he inspired them incredibly. And uh, so Royal St. Robert. Robert. And if you look on the neck label, it is up, it, there is RGM, heart and soul. Because oh. my father used to always tell us, always, whatever you do, do it completely. Do it with your whole heart and soul. And, hmm. uh, and so Carlo has that. Uh, on the neck label of each of his uh, individual offerings. That's great. That's so neat. Yeah. Wow. So I'm very proud of that. 
We should be. Yeah. Way to go, Dad. Oh, well, yeah, it's, uh, again, it's a continuum. It's a continuum. I love it. Tim, thanks so much for coming in, taking yeah, the time. Thank you. It's great fun talking with you. And great. thank you for, for doing this podcast. There's a lot of great stories in this valley and lots of individual personalities. That's part of thank the reason you for I, revealing that's that. That's part of the reason I've been doing it, because everybody, even folks I know really well come in, it's like I find something out about them. I oh, never of course. Knew. It's amazing. Oh, yes. All right. Take care. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I've run into Tim at tastings, I've chatted with him here and there, bumped into him at the grocery store, but this is the first time we've ever had a chance to sit down and have a real conversation. I really didn't know what to expect. Turns out he's been through a lot. He's had some great adventures, obviously loves being a dad, loves taking on new challenges. If you get a chance, be sure to check out Continuum. He and his team are making incredible wines. Thanks for listening to The Taste. It's a big honor every time to see those download numbers grow and grow. Thanks for telling other people about it and for your emails. If you'd like to help us out, please rate and review it on iTunes as it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.